get the unmissable news stories of the day. This is the Beijing Hour. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Thursday, February the 29th, 2024. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, China's two sessions meetings starting next week will embrace new productive forces in the country's economy. Trainee doctors in South Korea are defying government orders to return to work amid a dispute over medical school admissions. China's efforts to reduce medicine costs for people suffering from rare diseases. In business, China's official GDP numbers for 2023. In sports, Beijing will once again host the World Athletics Championships. In culture and entertainment, space technology repurposed to protect ancient Chinese artifacts. Now checking the day's top stories. This year marks the 70th anniversary of China's National People's Congress. The country's top legislature makes laws and decides on key appointments. The People's Congress system is fundamental, a fundamental political system in China. Zhao Yunfei explains. The National People's Congress, or NPC, is China's top lawmaking body. It's a political system fundamental to the leadership of the Communist Party of China the running of the country by the people, and law-based governance. Over its 70 years of history, the system of people's congresses, from national level to provincial and township levels, reflects that all power of the state belongs to the people. The first MPC was held in 1954. Deputies voted to pass the Constitution of the People's Republic of China. The Constitution provides a wide range of rights and freedoms that citizens enjoy in political, economic, social and other respects. China began its reform and opening up in 1978, developing itself into an economic powerhouse. China's electoral systems have been constantly improving, along with systems of state institutions, systems for community-level democracy, and organizational systems and rules of procedures for the People's Congresses. Since the 18th CPC National Congress in 2012, China has worked hard to improve the system of institutions through which the people run the country, strengthen governments at the primary level, and improve work related to People's Congress deputies. The MPC deputies exercise legislative power by deliberating and voting. They play an important role in the practice of democracy. The deputies to the 14th MPC make up a broad cross-section of people. Among nearly 3,000 delegates, 497 are workers and farmers, and another 634 technical personnel. They were elected from 35 electoral units across the country. NPC says the diversity of the deputies helps maintain close contact with the people and win extensive recognition from the people. During last year's NPC plenary session, the deputies and delegations raised 271 proposals and 8,314 suggestions. NPC says all proposals and suggestions have been handled. For decades, the People's Congress system has provided an important institutional guarantee. It allows the party to lead the people in achieving rapid economic development and long-term social stability. That was Zhao Yunfei on how the People's Congress system has shaped political life here in China over the past seven decades. 
China's embraced the concept of new productive forces as a key focus of its economic work this year. Experts say this will be much discussed at the upcoming two sessions meetings. President Xi Jinping first mentioned the term during an inspection tour of Heilongjiang province in September. New productive forces or new quality productivity refers to harnessing scientific and technological innovation to significantly boost economic productivity. Examples of these new sources of growth include connected vehicles, quantum computers, futuristic industrial robots, and brain-computer interfaces. Chen Zhiyuan reports. New quality productivity or new productive forces has become a trendy term to describe a key issue in China's economic growth model. Chinese analysts say attention should focus on two key terms, new productive forces and innovation. The focus is on industries such as artificial intelligence and green vehicle, indicating the development is high quality and sustainable. Think about it this way. The driver of Chinese economic growth used to depend on its traditional economic model based in part on infrastructure and real estate spending. But it's now shifting gears to areas such as consumption, exports and business investments. To sustain growth, the key driver is innovation, specifically technological breakthrough and innovative allocation of production, and industrial transformation and upgrades. To achieve these outcomes, the economy needs to be supported by improved workers and labor practices. To speed up the process, experts say the country needs to revolutionary breakthroughs in technology, the development of strategic industries such as artificial intelligence, close alignment between the real economy and digital technology, training more talents for industry, and deeper reforms to meet the new era of development. That was Chen Zhiyuan explaining the concept of new productive forces. Well, earlier, Li Dongning spoke to Professor He Ping at Tsinghua University in Beijing, and she asked him about what, is, uh, or what this key concept might hold in store for technological innovation and the development of future industries. First of all, tell us what key points for developing new quality productivity. New quality productivity is based on important fundamental research and a strategic original innovation. As of now, a new round of some scientific and technological revolution and industrial transformation is deepening and spurring around the world, along with advancement of digital technology, green technology, biotechnology, artificial intelligence, and etc. New capital, new tools, and new outputs are invented through innovation in emerging strategic industries and the future industries. Along with new manufacturing, new services, and new business models, generating new momentum growth. Therefore, to stimulate the formation of a new quality productivity, we need not only to promote scientific and technological innovation, but also to accelerate the cultivation and growth of emerging industries. The new quality productivity would advance in strategic emerging industries and future industries. Specifically, it is necessary to apply the achievements of scientific and technological innovation to specific industries and industrial chains in a timely manner, transform and upgrade traditional industries, cultivate and expand emerging industries, lay out and build future industries, and improve the modern industrial system. Mm -hmm. Talking about uh, laying out for the future industries, what aspects should be emphasized in this regard and how can the potential of technological innovation be further stimulated? 
The new quality productivity is not only is not driven by ordinary scientific and technological technological innovation, but by scientific and technological innovation that has a wide and a far-reaching impact on economic and social development. To this end, we need to promote scientific and technological innovation and institutional innovation to form an open and innovative business system with global competitiveness and build the world's major science centers and innovation highlands as soon as possible. We need to accelerate the formation of new quality pro productive forces, develop new quality production relations, improve the skills of workers, and cultivate a team of high quality talents with the goal of meeting the escalating needs of the econ economy and the society. We need to improve the system that mechanism of scientific and technological innovation to promote free flow of key factors of production such as capital and data. We also need to promote effective integration, convergence, and sharing of resources to facilitate the extension, upgrading, and cultivation of the industrial chain in the field of new industries and continuously release the huge potential of the development of new industries. That was Professor He Ping at Tsinghua University sharing his thoughts on new productive forces. At the annual two sessions meetings next week, deputies and representatives from all walks of life will gather in Beijing to hammer out policies and plans that will shape China's development in the years to come. Li 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 is a deputy to the National People's Congress from Shanxi Province. She spent 15 years promoting the cause of recycled water and encouraging more factories to use it. But still, Li feels there's more to do. Hu Chao has her story. Recently, North China's Shanxi province has been hit by heavy snow. Li Lili has come to a sewage treatment plant in Jinzhong city to check whether the quality of the recycled water was affected by the snowfall. Recycled water here is used by several power plants to provide heating supply for the city. We're here to help ensure the quality and quantity of the recycled water that is supplied to power plants. Li Lili has been working in the sewage treatment industry for 15 years, rising from a frontline worker to a top engineer. At the two sessions last year, she suggested the usage rate of recycled water should be further raised, especially in provinces along the Yellow River. Shanxi produces around 2 billion tons of recycled water a year, but the usage rate is less than 20 percent. It's a pity that much of the water has been wasted. In September, Li got a reply from the National Development and Reform Commission. They said China will raise the usage level of recycled water through legislation, planning, policy making, departmental coordination, and publicity campaigns. In January, Shanxi also issued an implementation advice aiming to raise the usage rate of recycled water to 30 percent by 2027. These responses from the government have given Li more confidence. She has been visiting more companies and convincing them of the benefits of using recycled water. In recent years, the country has been promoting the use of recycled water. Underground tubes are also being built to use the recycled water. In our office buildings, we plan to use it for watering the grounds, flush water and the air conditioning system. It will help us save lots of energy. 
and a bid to ensure stable, standard quality of recycled water. Li and her team have researched and developed some new technologies, which have already been implemented in several sewage treatment plants, raising the usage rate of recycled water by 3% over last year. This year, I will continue to focus on green, low-carbon development. China plans to build 100 model green, low-carbon sewage treatment plants. I hope relevant departments can set specific standards as soon as possible. Li says setting specific standards is vital to the technological transformation of the industry and will propel the green, low-carbon development of the newly built sewage treatment plants. That was Hu Chao reporting. Coming up, trainee doctors in South Korea are refusing government orders to return to work. Strengthening the foundation for a future powered by innovation, where high technology, high efficiency, and high quality converge. These three pillars are set to propel China's new productive forces and supercharge the Chinese economy into a new era of development. New industries, new models, and new growth momentum. Join CGTN as we guide you through the new productive forces poised to redefine the Chinese economy. We're at 13 minutes past the hour. Around 9,000 trainee doctors in South Korea walked off the jobs for the 10th day in a row on Thursday in protest of the government's plan to boost the medical school enrollment quota by 2,000 next year. Government officials have renewed calls for doctors to return to work or face punitive action, such as the suspension of their medical licenses. Jung Yoon reports from Seoul. According to the Ministry of Health and Welfare, 9,997 trainee doctors, accounting for 80% of the total, have submitted their resignations, and 9,076 of them have left their work sites as of Wednesday. Health Minister Cho Kyu-hong made a last-minute appeal to the striking doctors, repeating a pledge that they will not be held accountable if they go back to work by Thursday. The government said it will soon initiate steps to suspend the licenses of those who fail to return to work by the deadline. Authorities will conduct an on-site inspection at hospitals to finalize a list of trainee doctors who have not returned by the deadline and begin relevant steps for punitive measures. The steps include giving them prior notice about their violations of the Medical Service Act and offering them an opportunity to state their opinions. Thousands of interns and resident doctors across the country have walked off the job since February 20th to protest the government plan to expand medical students' enrollment. The plan is part of government efforts to alleviate the shortage of doctors and improve public access to medical services. However, doctors have expressed concerns that such increases could compromise the quality of education and training. The prolonged confrontation between doctors and the government has resulted in significant disruptions to medical services. The government has initiated investigations into several critical cases resulting from the ongoing strike. In one case, a pregnant woman with birth canal complications suffered a miscarriage after being denied surgery at one of the affected hospitals.
The Korea Alliance of Patients' Organization is calling the postponement of treatment a death sentence for patients, urging trainee doctors to promptly return to work and calling on the government to take measures to prevent medical service disruptions from happening again. The government has announced plans to expedite the opening schedules of four situation rooms used for emergency medical services. They will supervise and manage the transfers of patients in emergency or critical condition so they can receive timely treatment. In the final procedure for the government to file a criminal complaint over the labor action, health ministry officials have visited the homes of representatives of Trini doctors to deliver the government's back-to-work order. That was Jung Yoon reporting. In meantime, the South Korean government says it's seeking to hold the first talks with the junior doctors over their walkout. The health minister says most striking doctors have not returned to work despite the Thursday deadline. Well, now authorities are coming up with contingency plans to help cope with the current crisis. Martin Lowe has more. I don't want to sound overly dramatic, but you really could say that we're at the edge of the abyss here in terms of medical chaos here in uh, South Korea. Already one death has been attributed to the doctor's protest. Uh, an elderly lady suffered a cardiac arrest, reportedly was turned away by seven hospitals uh, before she died. Now, in terms of the doctors, we've seen no movement from them. There's no suggestion at all that they will be going back to work. There's been a tiny trickle over the last couple of days out of the 10,000 who are not working. A few hundred have returned, but clearly the vast majority have not done so. The Prime Minister has uh, ordered that uh, doctors in the Army, the Navy and the Air Force uh, are being drafted into civilian hospitals to try to fill some of the gaps being left by the junior doctors. Um, uh, already uh, military and police uh, hospitals have been opened up to the general public to try to treat them. The medical clinics that are dotted around the country uh, have been asked to open for as long as they can to provide treatment. I mean, it's bad enough here in the capital Seoul, uh, where the big teaching and university hospitals are. Uh, they've had to cancel more than 50% of the operations they've got scheduled. Uh, but reportedly in the rural areas, there are simply areas now with no doctors. Uh, the, the junior doctors would normally provide the health service in the rural areas. They're not there. So so there is no health service that results in uh, ill and injured people having to travel and make their way here to Seoul, the capital. But then when they get here, uh, it's quite likely that they're going to find it extremely difficult to get treatment even here. Clearly, uh, all sides uh, would like to see this resolved, but sadly, there doesn't seem to be any movement, uh, any inclination from either side to, to give ground or to seek a compromise. So we just seem to be in an impasse at the moment with, of course, the patients being the ones to suffer the most. That was Martin Lowe on the doctor's strike in South Korea. Representatives of Hamas and Fatah, the major Palestinian political party, are reportedly meeting in Moscow to discuss the situation, or rather the formation of a unified Palestinian government and the rebuilding of Gaza. This comes as the Palestinian foreign minister uh, said Hamas should not be included in any coalition government for now, citing international concerns. We do believe that a new government should take full responsibility of uh, you know, the services 
uh, and you know uh, actions both in West Bank and in Gaza. We thought that a new government will be seen as a government that will take responsibility both in West Bank and Gaza, because West Bank and Gaza should be seen and treated as one territorial unit. The time now is not for a you know a national coalition government. The time now is not for a government where uh, Hamas will be part of it, because if in this case, then it will be boycotted by a number of countries as it happened before. Mariad al-Maliki, who represents the Palestinian Authority, which runs the West Bank but not Gaza, made the remarks just two days after Prime Minister Mohammed Shatea announced his resignation. Gaza's health ministry says two children have died of dehydration and malnutrition, the UN's warning of imminent famine in the region. Meantime, Hamas has urged Palestinians to march to Jerusalem's Al-Aqsa Mosque at the start of Ramadan next month. Israel earlier said it would allow Ramadan prayers, but set limits. Uh, David Biller with the Associated Press reports from Jerusalem. Hostages' families began marching north from a southern city in Israel, which was one of the bloodiest sites of the October 7th rampage by Hamas militants, where more than 300 people were killed. They are holding pictures of the hostages who remain in Gaza and blasting music on loudspeakers and waving Israeli flags. They're trying to put pressure on the Israeli government to reach a deal to release the hostages. It's believed to be about 100 still alive in Gaza after more than 100 were released in a November ceasefire. An Egyptian official has told my colleagues at the AP that the deal currently under consideration is the release of about 40 hostages for around 300 Palestinian prisoners and a six-week ceasefire that would allow much-needed aid to enter Gaza. There's been some cautious optimism around these talks. However, both Israel and Hamas have thrown a bit of cold, cold water on that optimism. So everyone's waiting and watching to see what's going to come out of Doha. The situation has grown increasingly dire in Gaza, particularly over the last month, with the delivery of aid by trucks you know, dropping dramatically. We saw in the UN Security Council that a top official from the World Food Program said that child malnutrition in Gaza is now the worst in the world. It's not just food, though. It's also fuel, which hospitals need to keep the generators going for patients who are on dialysis or in intensive care units. Um, it's also needed for desalination plants. And a top official from the Food and Agriculture Organization said that water supply is at 7% of its pre-October 7th levels. Now, virtually all of the aid that has been able to make it into Gaza is coming in through the south and hasn't been able to get up north. That means the situation there is particularly acute. The small glimmer of hope is that amid vast outcry from the international community, 50 trucks did enter North Gaza between Monday and Wednesday. This was confirmed by Israel, which says that it doesn't put any limit on the entrance of aid trucks and has put the blame on the, for the bottlenecks on UN agencies and aid groups. They, in turn, blame the social chaos on the ground, the relentless offensive by Israel, as well as burdensome inspection processes by Israel before these trucks are allowed to cross. Israel says that's necessary for security. That was David Biller reporting.
Uh, the last day of February each year is dedicated to raising public awareness of the plight facing people diagnosed with rare diseases around the world. There are currently over 7,000 identified rare case disorders. World Health Organization says uh, they afflict around 0.1% of the global population. In China alone, around 20 million people are living in the shadow of rare diseases. For more, Zhong Cho spoke with the families of two patients suffering from spinal muscular atrophy to find out how their lives have changed thanks to the medical revamps. When Ran Ran was just two months old, she was diagnosed with type 1 SMA, the most severe form of the disease among the four types. If left untreated, patients with type 1 SMA typically do not live beyond the age of two. But available treatment was expensive then. The oral drug cost nearly 64,000 yuan, or more than 9,200 US dollars, a bottle. Fortunately, China's national medical insurance system updated its catalog of medicines, including drugs for the treatment of rare diseases such as SMA. Ran Ran was able to receive the drug through the hospital. This special experience remains fresh in her mother's memories. We went to Nanjing Children's Hospital to get the drug. The doctors were so supportive and did all they could to help us. With the prescription, we got the drug at a pharmacy. Currently, taking medication is the only viable option for patients with SMA to survive. We feel very fortunate that we can get such an easy access to the medicine on the national reimbursement drug list. We only have to pay around 1,500 yuan for a bottle now. I know quite a few parents had to give up on treating their children in the past because of the high cost. The number of SMA patients in China has surpassed 30,000. Around 80% of them are infants. Some parents still choose injections for treatment, which became more affordable in 2022. Oh, Ho Chen Yi, whose nickname is Candy, was diagnosed with type 1 SMA when she was about six months old in 2019. At that time, the only available injection for this rare disease was not yet included on the national reimbursement drug list. As Candy's mother recalls, the cost of the medication then was truly intimidating. When the doctor told me that it would cost 700,000 yuan for one injection, I was completely stunned and overwhelmed. I had never heard of such a high price before, and my mind just went blank immediately. Candy was finally admitted to hospital, but her parents could only afford to pay for the treatment of her complications in the ICU. The child went through multiple emergency treatments there, which left her parents with no choice but to sell their car and apartment and to borrow lots of money. In 2021, the couple managed to raise 550,000 yuan through an NGO, allowing them to purchase six injections for their child. Though a significant relief, Candy's mother says she struggled to sleep for nearly a month as they were still unable to afford the three doses of the medication for next year's treatment. 
他真的很勇敢。他如果说他要是不勇敢的话，可能我们也坚持不到现在。Thankfully, one month later, the family was able to buy the injections at what is one seventieth the original price under the national medical insurance system. 我就是。When I received the news, I cried for a long time, holding my daughter in my arms. I kept saying to her, "My dear." And、uh, that was a Zhongshou story on two families of rare disease patients whose lives have changed by medical reforms. We're at twenty-eight minutes past the hour. Beijing's down to minus five on Thursday evening. Friday will be sunny with the high of six. Nanchang's at four tonight, then overcast and six degrees. Elsewhere in Asia, Islamabad's down to eleven degrees, then、uh, a rainfall in fifteen. Vientiane's at twenty-two overnight, then sunny in thirty-two. Phnom Penh's down to twenty-four this evening, then sunny in thirty-five. In Africa, Nairobi will see cloudy conditions and a high of twenty-seven on Friday. Kampala's eighteen tonight, then、uh, some rainfall in twenty-eight. Degrees.、Uh, Juba's at 25、uh, this evening. Tomorrow's cloudy and 40. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, China's two sessions meeting starting next week will embrace new productive forces in the country's economy. Trainee doctors in South Korea are defying government orders to return to work amid a dispute over medical school admissions. China's efforts to reduce medicine costs for people suffering from rare diseases.、And、Shane Begum with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. My this kind of music. Because Mongol names are Chinese. Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common: we have hope for humanity and the world. German railway company Deutsche Bahn, the 26th United Nations Climate. Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你 This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you are a rookie, 你好，我的中文一点点 or a sophisticated learner. 我来北京五年了，我是本地人 There is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好 Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour. One hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host, Shane Begum, with you on this Thursday. Still to come. In business, China's official GDP numbers for 2023. In sports, Beijing will once again host the World Athletics Championships. In culture and entertainment, space technology repurposed to protect ancient Chinese artifacts. Contact us. You can email radio at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at cgtnradio. But first of all, with the day's headline news, here's Do Hongyu. Thank you, Shane. 
Passenger flights between China and the United States will increase significantly from the end of next month. Chinese and U.S. airlines can operate 100 scheduled passenger flights per week starting from March 31st. The Civil Aviation Administration of China said the number of flights between China and 22 countries now exceeds the pre-pandemic level. It said China will continue to promote the resumption of international flights to better meet the needs of personnel exchanges. The UN peacekeeping mission in the Democratic Republic of the Congo has closed its first base in South Kivu after a mission that lasted 25 years. The Congolese National Police is now responsible for security in the region. Over the years, eastern Congo continues to be ravaged by over 120 armed groups seeking a share of the region's resources, such as gold. Some of the groups are backed by Congo's neighbors. The violence, including occasional rampant mass killings, has displaced nearly 7 million people. Palestinian President Mohammed Abbas has called on the Arab League to support Palestine in obtaining full membership in the United Nations. The Palestinians currently have non-member observer state status and the UN. Arab League Secretary General Ahmed Abel Gait has received a written message from Abbas. The message calls for an international conference to adopt a comprehensive peace plan with international guarantees and a timeline for the implementation of ending the Israeli occupation of Palestinian territories. Iran and Russia have signed 19 documents on expanding bilateral cooperation in various sectors, including energy, health, trade and education. The agreements were signed at the end of the 17th meeting of the two countries' Joint Economic Cooperation Commission in Tehran. Iranian officials said the country has so far signed contracts with Russian companies for developing eight Iranian oil fields. U.S. congressional leaders have come to an agreement to prevent a partial government shutdown slated for midnight on Friday. Democratic and Republican leaders agreed to finance certain government sectors. They also decided to prolong the existing deadlines, buying Congress more time to craft annual spending bills. In January, Congress approved a stopgap funding bill that would keep part of the government open until March the 1st and keep other agencies funded until March the 8th. An Illinois state judge has barred former U.S. President Donald Trump from appearing on the state's Republican presidential primary ballot, citing his role in the January 2021 Capitol riot. The ruling comes just before Trump and U.S. President Joe Biden are expected to visit the country's southern border to talk about migration. The two opponents have put immigration on the agenda, as new poll suggests it has become the top issue for voters. The U.S. Federal Aviation Administration says it'll give Boeing 90 days to come up with a plan to address its systemic quality control issues. The FAA says the plan must also include steps Boeing will take to mature its safety management system program, which it committed to in 2019. The statement comes after FAA Administrator Mike Whitaker met Boeing Chief Executive Dave Calhoun at his senior safety team. The U.S. Commerce Department says the country's real gross domestic product growth in the fourth quarter of 2023 has been revised down to an annual rate of 3.2 percent in the second estimate. In the advanced estimate released in late January, the increase in real GDP in the fourth quarter was 3.3 percent. 
Seven wildfires are still raging in Texas, including one that has grown into the second largest wildfire in state history. Known as the Smokehouse Creek Fire, the enormous blaze has scorched over 300,000 hectares in northern Texas. Many residents have evacuated their homes due to wildfires. The smoke and flames also forced the shutdown of the country's main nuclear facility on Tuesday. Authorities say no deaths or injuries have been reported yet. An ongoing drought is deepening an acute water crisis in Mexico City, drying out the capital's reservoirs. Residents are now complaining of long waiting periods for city water deliveries and stricter rationing. Blacksmith Leonardo Delgado complains that the water truck hasn't come for a third week in a row. It has been about four or five months since water hasn't been running out of the faucet. A water truck needs to come and bring us water. It's hard, and sometimes they don't bring the water. Officials said the El Nino weather pattern and heat waves caused the recent falloff in rain. They added that drought conditions have been intensifying over the past four years and gradually lowering reservoir levels. All right, thank you very much. That was Do Hongyu with your headline news. This is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, China's official GDP numbers for 2023. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive. The podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platforms, and get ready to dive in. Thirty-seven past the hour. Now turning to business, and here's Wang Zhang. Thank you, Shane. The Chinese mainland markets closed higher on Thursday, with some new regulatory moves being introduced. Timothy Pope has more. The Shanghai Composite gaining about 1.9 percent. The Shenzhen component was rising more than 3 percent.、Uh, the market regulator said that it's going to be cracking down on various types of high-frequency trading, including、uh, some types uh, that uh, bypass brokerages and can enable higher levels of leverage. A lot of this is is quite technical stuff. But the China Securities Regulatory Commission、uh, said that there'd be more oversight of this kind of trading and、uh, a move to reduce some of that leverage. And this is just the latest in a. Series of regulatory actions、uh, that have really been designed to boost the confidence of ordinary investors, retail investors, while reducing the scope for、uh, short sellers and others who want to bet against the market. That was Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index lost nearly 0.2 percent. In Japan, the Nikkei dipped a little more than 0.1 percent. Official data shows that China's GDP surpassed 126 trillion yuan, or more than 17.5 trillion U.S. dollars, in 2023, an increase of 5.2 percent compared with the previous year. According to the National Bureau of Statistics, the value added of the primary industry was nearly 9 trillion yuan, an increase of 4.1 percent. The value added of the secondary industry registered an increase of 4.7 percent, while that of the tertiary industry grew by 5.8 percent. The consumer price index was up by 0.2 percent, and the producer price index decreased by 3 percent. At the end of last year, China's foreign exchange reserve were, reserves were over 3.2 trillion yuan, U.S. dollars, an increase of over 
$110 billion compared to the end of the previous year. The per capita disposable income of residents for the year was over 39,210 yuan, an increase of 6.3%. The per capita disposable income of rural residents increased 7.7%. For more insights on the latest economic data and growth numbers, Michelle Vandenberg spoke with Li Yong, chief researcher of DNC Think Tank. In what ways did consumer spending, investment, and exports uh, drive GDP growth last year in China? And what does this signify about the country's economic momentum? Well, I think you know the uh, three areas that you mentioned are so-called uh, the troika of the uh, econ economic development, and obviously consumption. Um, contributed most to the 5.2% uh, increase. And uh, um, in terms of the rate of contribution to the GDP, consumption contributed 4.3%. Uh, 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 and uh, investment, um, about one5 And export, it's a negative 0.6% contribution. And of course, if we uh, look at the share of contribution to the growth rate, and the consumption occupied the uh, the large chunk of it, uh, which is about uh, 82.5%, uh, uh, which is really high. And uh, so uh, going forward, we can clearly see, you know, these three factors, you know, what kind of momentum uh, can contribute. Uh, I mean, the three factors can contribute uh, to the uh, uh, future econ economic growth. And of course, uh, we understand that uh, consumption is the uh, type pro top priority, and related to that, I think it is there. Uh, there will be uh, policies, policy measures, and of course, investment uh, performed less than expected uh, from the last year data. But this year, I think there will be uh, adjustment, and uh, there will be also, um, you know, um, measures to jack up the confidence, particularly. The, uh, the confidence uh, by, uh, by the private sector. That was Li Yong, chief researcher of DNC Think Tank. Official data shows that Chinese and international airlines carried out over 5,380 international round-trip passenger flights during the week starting February the 12th. The Civil Aviation Administration of China says the figure has returned to 71% of the pre-pandemic level. More than 74% of the flights involved Belt and Road Initiative countries. The aviation authorities say international flights have steadily resumed since the Spring Festival holiday. Flights to and from 64 countries, including 48 BRI countries, account for 75% of China's total international flights. The Chinese Commerce Ministry says the country has implemented most of the 24 measures for foreign-invested enterprises. The ministry has held a roundtable meeting with foreign-invested enterprises. Representatives from nine foreign chambers of commerce and business associations in China and more than 60 foreign-invested enterprises attended the meeting. Among them was Jens Eskelund, president of the European Union Chamber of Commerce in China. We saw very soon after the release of the 24 measures that, for example, uh, tax regulation were optimized, helping foreign nationals uh, uh, in China and supporting uh, foreign uh, businesses here. We have also seen how uh, visa requirements have been relaxed for a number of European countries, which is very much welcome. 
The attendee said the implementation of the measures have strengthened their confidence in investing in China. Finance ministers and central bank presidents of the Group of 20 have gathered in Sao Paulo. Social inequality is a major focus of their discussions. Paulo Cabral has details. The meeting of the finance ministers and central bank leaders of the G20 and officials from eight gas nations opened Wednesday in São Paulo. The host, Brazil's finance minister Fernando Haddad, could not participate in person after testing positive for COVID-19 and delivered his opening address instead via video conference. Haddad said fighting poverty and inequality are at the core of what Brazil wants to discuss at the G20. At the same time that millions have been lifted out of poverty, especially in Asia, there has been a substantial increase in income and wealth inequality in various countries. We have reached an unsustainable situation where the richest 1% hold 43% of the world's financial assets and emit the same amount of carbon as the poorest two-thirds of humanity. Speaking after Haddad, the president of Brazil's central bank, known for his more liberal economic views, spoke of the importance of monetary discipline to achieve long-term poverty reduction. Agnes's backdrop reminds that some macroeconomic policies underpin the environment where loans are prompt and sustained and social gap short. The G20 has predicted the need for well-pedigreed monetary fiscal privation and structural walls. China is represented at the meeting by its vice minister of finance, Liao Min, and the deputy governor of China's central bank, Lu Lei. The high-level finance officials gathered here seem to largely agree on the need to fight poverty and inequality. The question is whether economic and global security realities will present insurmountable obstacles to achieving such goals. Holding the presidency of the G20 this year, Brazil is tasked with defining the group's priorities for this cycle of discussions, which will end with the summit of heads of state in November in Rio de Janeiro. Wednesday, the officials here discussed Brazil's proposals, which, after approval, will be outlined in a communique at the close of meetings on Thursday. There's Paulo Cabral on the G20 finance ministers and central bank presidents meeting. Global automakers are taking the spotlight with quality cars and new technologies at the ongoing Geneva International Motor Show. The auto show serves as an annual barometer for the industry. Electric cars are dominating this year's event, with some automakers integrating artificial intelligence into their new products. Geneva International Motor Show CEO Sandro Mesquita says there's a huge Chinese presence. I think the integration of, of new technologies into cars will be increasing and there is one topic that we are all uh, expecting more it's about autonomous driving i'm meeting even yesterday a lot uh, of, of brands coming from china we were also uh, in contact with a lot of brands and i'm sure that next year uh, uh, the presence of chinese brands will be uh, uh, much more bigger the show will run until this sunday Finally, Chinese authorities have announced plans to develop an integrated business zone in Shanghai. The Eastern Hub International Business Cooperation Zone will be a new platform for, to facilitate international business exchange and gather service resources. It aims to promote the integrated development of the Yangtze River Delta and the innovative development of offshore service and digital trade. The new zone will complement Shanghai's goal to be a global center for economy, trade and science and technology innovation by 2025. Right, thank you very much. That was Wang Zihang with Business. You're listening to the
Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, Beijing will once again host the World Athletics Championships. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. 47 past the hour now. Turning to sports, and here's Brandon Yates. Thank you, Shane. Beijing will host the 2027 World Athletics Championships. The decision was made at the World Athletics Council meeting in Glasgow. The capital of China hosted the 2015 edition of the Athletics Worlds. Chinese sprinter Su Bingtang is one of the biggest track and field stars in China. He has begun his season after a year out of action by competing in Chengdu. He has now set his sights on the Paris Olympics. I didn't plan to compete in Chengdu, but I know that the national team will have a 4x100-meter trial for the World Relay Championships in Bahamas after this event. And that is important for China, because that will determine whether we can qualify for the Paris Olympics. So I hope I can make efforts for that and keep fighting for Chinese athletics. Staying with athletics headlines, Nanjing is set to host the 2025 Indoor Championships. The Paris 2024 Olympic Athletes' Village is set to be unveiled soon. It will be done ahead of schedule this week, and French President Emmanuel Macron will be involved in the reveal. Paris 2024 Olympic and Paralympic Villages Director Laurent Machard is confident everything will be installed on time. We are very happy that uh, all apartments are on time, meaning that we will receive on the 1st of March all the keys of the, the village. It's 45,000 keys that we will receive. And uh, we are very happy about the quality of the work that has been done by Solideo and the promoters. So that after we uh, will be able to install all our materials and furniture on time for the Games. The Olympic Village will accommodate more than 14,000 athletes and officials throughout the Games. In tennis, top seed Daniil Medvedev has defeated Lorenzo Sonego at the Dubai Duty-Free Tennis Championships. Medvedev fought from a set down to win their round of 16 clash 3-6, 6-3-6-3. Elsewhere, former world number one Andy Murray lost to France's Hugo Humpert in straight sets 6-2-6-4. Speaking of Murray, Medvedev commented on the Brits' possible plans to retire soon. Then for sure uh, he's an uh, admiration of mine because I remember when I was just going up the rankings. Uh, that was a moment where he was winning slams, uh, playing finals and stuff like this against Novak, uh, Roger and Rafa, so the big four. Uh, so it's going to be sad when he retires, uh, but you know, he's such a worry that I think he's going to try to go uh, very far. Till he's here, it's going to be fun. Uh, when he's not here, uh, I'm sure he's going to find uh, a good, uh, good spot in his life after tennis. Medvedev will meet Davidovich Fokina in the quarterfinals. On the women's side, the WTA ATX Open will feature an all-Chinese quarterfinal, where Wang Yafan will play Yuan Yue. In football, Chelsea managed to edge Leeds 3-2 in a thrilling FA Cup tie. After the match, Blues manager Maurizio Pochettino addressed the trending Gary Neville comments about his team. Gary, my friend, what you, you did, because, uh, because his opinion now is like uh, always is a run and a run and a run, come on. That was, yes, of course, I cannot be agree about that. Um, with all my, my love to, to Gary, I think it's not fair to put this, you know, use this type of word in, in a team that is so brave and in, in a club that is always show that uh, fight for big things. Um, Yes, 
what we can do. Uh, now only with this type of performance show that we are brave, that we can win games. And, and of course, nothing to say. It's only to keep moving. Liverpool sealed an emphatic 3-0 win against Southampton and Reds manager Jurgen Klopp once again praised his young stars. He said a couple of times that the future doesn't look that bad. So um, maybe the people don't forget it in a moment when the transfer window opens. A couple of pretty promising players already here. Don't close the door for them with 12 signings. Elsewhere, Manchester United defeated Nottingham Forest 1-0 and Wolves overcame Brighton 1-0. The FA Cup quarterfinal fixtures have also been announced. The Wolves will face Coventry City, Manchester United takes on Liverpool, Chelsea plays Leicester City and Manchester City battles Newcastle United. Cristiano Ronaldo has been suspended for one match after appearing to make an obscene gesture. This followed Al Nasser's 3-2 win over Al Shabab. After the final whistle, social media videos captured Ronaldo making the gesture. The action appeared to be directed at the rival Al-Shabaab supporters. In the background, chants of Messi could be heard, referencing Ronaldo's long-term football rival. The disciplinary committee said the Portuguese star would have to pay a fine of 10,000 Saudi rials or around 2,700 US dollars. Ronaldo must also pay 20,000 rials to Al-Shabaab to cover the costs of the complaint filing fees. And finally, Brighton boss Roberto De Zerbi is another name under consideration at Bayern Munich to replace manager Thomas Tuchel. Bayer Leverkusen's Xavi Alonso remains the priority target with unanimous backing throughout the club. However, other names are being discussed, with Alonso also being targeted by Liverpool. De Zerbi is among those names, although they are also aware he is liked by Barcelona. Zinedine Zidane and Hansi Flick are others, and Julian Nagelsmann's name is not being discussed as things stand. However, buying is doing all it can to get Alonzo. All right, thank you very much. That was Brandon Yates with Sports. Coming up in culture and entertainment, space technology repurposed to protect ancient Chinese artifacts. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. 60 minutes of comprehensive news. Your window on China and the world. 53 past the hour now. Turning to culture and entertainment. Engineers from the China Academy of Space Technology have repurposed a robot to protect tomb artifacts. Originally designed for orbital missions, the robot can be used to eradicate bacteria that thrives on ancient murals. It's equipped with a robotic arm mounted on a mobile wheeled chassis, allowing the device to scan scenes of tomb walls and domes. It uses electron beams to eliminate harmful bacteria that cause murals to fade or chip over time. Uh, the project was initiated by the Dunhuang Academy. This is an institute that protects and researches the Dunhuang Grottoes in northwest China, a world cultural heritage site. In today's fast-paced world, micro-dramas have emerged as a popular form of entertainment. They offer viewers easily digestible content as bite-sized treats that can be enjoyed on the go. Chen Tong explains. On this film set, all the professional cameras are shooting in portrait mode. This is a costume drama of some 100 episodes. It sounds crazy, right? But each episode is only one to two minutes long and you can watch them on your phone. And hundreds of micro-dramas are believed to have emerged online last year. 27-year-old leading lady Li Songzi started journalism in college but has been pursuing her acting dream for years. 
she landed her first role in a microdrama last year. It's not about whether I want to do it. It's because all the people in the film industry that I know are shooting vertical dramas. Why are so many people producing microdramas? Well, the answer is simple: they are profitable. Currently, there are two models in which microdramas make money. One provides free-to-watch content and relies on ad revenue. While most opt to charge a fee after ten free episodes, last year the drama series Wu Shuang netted 100 million yuan, roughly 14 million U.S. dollars, after going online for only eight days. A big drama has a long production cycle. It takes a long time to wait and see whether you make profit or not. But vertical screen micro dramas take a short time to see the effects, and you know whether you've succeeded or failed. Unlike big productions that can cost millions or even billions of yuan to make, most micro dramas cost less than one million yuan or some 140,000 US dollars. There are no famous stars or grand scenes, and one series usually takes around a week to shoot. The new business model has seen microdrama crews flocking to China Wood in the eastern city of Hendian. In Hendian, this filming base used to be low key. Very few filming crews came here, but with so many microdramas popping up, this base has become one of the hottest one in Hendian, welcoming sometimes over a hundred crews a month. Microdramas don't require high-quality scenes because they shoot in a narrow view. So we grab these opportunities to set a variety of scenes. At peak times, we host 12 or 13 crews a day. That was Chen Tong on the popularity of microdramas. The Qingdao photo exhibitions underway in Richmond, Canada, this week. The exhibition theme is a vibrant ocean city, a livable and lovable city.、Uh, the city south of Vancouver is hosting the event as the sister city of Qingdao in Shandong Province. The photo exhibition showcases the new achievements of Qingdao, including the construction of an international metropolis.、Uh, organizers hope the event will help to further facilitate cultural exchanges between China and Canada. The special exhibition in Guangzhou is showcasing unique Bronze Age civilizations and long-standing Chinese culture. The exhibition at the Guangdong Museum demonstrates the unique temperament and styles of the three ancient Chinese cultural circles. A collection of 137 exhibits from the Yangtze River Basin are on display.、Uh, the major exhibits include bronze masks, swords, and ancient chime bells, which were unearthed in、uh, the area. The exhibition runs until early June. We're at 58 past the hour, Beijing down to minus five. Thursday evening, Friday sunny. The high is six degrees. Nanchang's at four tonight, then overcast and six. Elsewhere in Asia, Islamabad's dipping to 11. Friday has rainfall and 15. Vientiane's down to 22 degrees. Tomorrow's sunny and 32. Phnom Penh's 24 overnight. Friday has sunshine and 35. In Africa, Nairobi will be getting cloudy conditions and 27 degrees on Friday. Kampala's at 18 overnight, then some rainfall and 28. Juba's down to 25 degrees. Then clouds and 40.、Uh, finally, to Oceania, Port Vila is 25 this evening. Then some rainfall and 31 degrees. Apia is cloudy on Friday. The high is 30 degrees Celsius. And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today: China's two sessions meeting starting next week will embrace new productive forces in the country's economy. Trainee doctors in South Korea are defying government orders to return to work amid a dispute over medical school admissions.
On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Bigham in the Chinese Capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. Takeaway Chinese, where you can take some Chinese away and experience progress day by day. Takeaway Chinese, we will promise you a difference. Welcome to Roundtable, coming to you live from Beijing. From Beijing. Roundtable. 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 Connecting China and the world. We bring you fun and timely discussions about what's affecting our lives everywhere, every day. Tune in to Roundtable, where the East meets the West, and understanding is the goal. From north to south, east to west. People in China are chasing their dreams and leaving their mark. Want to know how they beat the odds and made a difference? Footprints brings you the true life stories of their journeys. 